Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Much like the staggering beauty of her singing voice, Audra McDonald is impossible to ignore. The only person to sweep all four acting categories at the Tonys, she's one of the most decorated Broadway stars of all time. Reviews of her award-winning performances overflow with accolades. She's spellbinding, radiant, and wrenchingly human. This year, the Juilliard graduate took on her first voiceover role, playing Madame Gardrobe in Disney's Beauty and the Beast. The performance was so great, one critic wrote, that her name in the credits prompted theatergoers to erupt in cheers. I sat down with Audra before her debut this summer in London's West End, where she takes on Billie Holiday, whose life as a black female performer hits close to home. Specifically for me, I would say that there was an expectation on my part that things would get easier as a result of being successful. You know, well, what do you mean I, they're going to make more money than I am? And mm. yet we're doing the same thing. We're playing, we're basically equal as far as the roles are concerned. Or... Um, what did you do to address that, if anything? I, I didn't for, I didn't do anything for a while. <laughs> I should have, right. and I didn't. I you was, just went along. Well, and especially, you know, when you're an actor, it's like you're always being told you should be grateful you've got the job, right. yeah. you know. So or you're being told that if you if you push too much, you're going to get a bad reputation for being yes, difficult. Yes, yes, and I was— There's actors that are infinitely less talented than you who, who work be, all the time, yeah. they're just easy to they're work with. They're easier to work right. with, and they, they, don't, they don't cause a what problem. About as being, what in terms of being an African-American performer, did that change? Well, I tell you—I mean, let me give you an example of how, in some ways, it— Changed and didn't change. I have to. I have to acknowledge the fact that I am someone who has had uh, a, a, an incredible opportunity in terms of sort of breaking down barriers as far as like colorblind casting, being colorblind cast as Carrie Pipperidge in in Carousel, right. you know, or the fact that I played Mother Abbess in the Sound of Music live, you know, and um, you know, a lot of people have issues with that, but you know, I I was the one that got the opportunity to do that, you know, um, when I was doing. Annie for ABC, they did a version of that with Kathy Bates and Victor Garber and um, Alan Cumming and Kristen Chenoweth, and they cast me as Grace Farrell. And uh, there was a scene at the end where Grace Farrell and, and, and Daddy Warbucks proposes to Grace Farrell at the end. The happy ending's happening, you know? And Victor was Daddy Warbucks? Yes. What? He was my daddy. I love him. Um, I love him, too. And... Um, Actually, you'll appreciate this. We were sitting around one day on the set and, uh, you know, in that big, gorgeous mansion that Daddy Warbucks has. And we were sitting between takes and I was sitting next to Victor and I just got a little emotional. I said, Victor, what if this was really our house and we were really getting married and we had all this money and this life? And he said, in the just true Victor fashion, darling, get a hold of yourself. <laughs> Totally hear Victor saying that, right? But um, so anyway, so we were filming breaking barriers. Yeah, we were filming. We were filming Annie, and um, so we shot the scene where you know Daddy Warbucks 
gives Grace Farrell the ring, and it's lovely. And then um, we get word that we have to come in on a Saturday to do some reshoots. And Rob Marshall was directing. Mm. Um, and uh, Neil Marin and Craig Zaden, who are wonderful, wonderful producers and have been very kind to me over the years and give me a lot of work. They cast me in Sound of Music as Mother Abbess. And um, they said, we have to do some reshoots. And then they took me aside and said, it turns out that Disney might be a little uncomfortable or the powers that be. I don't know if it was Disney or ABC or I don't know. We uncomfortable. There might be some issues with Daddy Warbucks actually marrying Grace. So we What year was this? 1999, mm-hmm. I think, 98, 99. So we need to reshoot the scene and do it without you. You hooking up with Daddy Warbucks. You giving, yeah. And I, Alex, I was devastated. I was, I was devastated. It was one of those things where, you know, you're starting to feel good. You're starting to feel like, oh, there's really change coming. Things are happening. Here I am playing this role, and and it's it's Annie, but nobody cares, and it's wonderful. How did everybody else feel, including Victor? I think everybody— And Rob. I think they were all kind of horrified. And, you know, and also— What did they use in the product, in the film? It, Rob said, okay, so we're all going to come in on a Saturday. You know, And you know how expensive that is when you're only shooting Monday through Friday. Come in on a Saturday just to reshoot the scene. So everybody comes in, and we— get dressed up in that moment for that scene and Rob does one big master take of Daddy Warbucks just sort of going, hey. And, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. It's great. Isn't this great? This happened. Okay. He's looking at you, yeah. kid. <laughs> exactly. You you over there. <laughs> you. You person, you. And um, he got one shot, one master take, one shot, and then Rob said, okay, got that. So while we're here, and then he proceeded to reshoot other things that he thought he could make look so a lot better. He tried to tank it. So he tanked it. He tried it. to tank it. He did tank it. And so they couldn't use it. So they ended up using where, so you look in the film and Daddy Warbucks proposes to Grace Farrell in that. And that's because Rob, that's because of Rob, you know. Yeah. And um, His courage. His courage. Good for him. Absolutely. And then at the end of the year, when the film came out, Time Magazine said something, or maybe it was Newsweek, um, and he said that uh, in things that happened this year, Daddy Warbucks marries a black Grace Farrell and nobody cares. So I don't know what that's the answer to, but it's an, <coughs> it, just an issue of things that, you know, you think you get to a certain point where, you know, things are changing and then boom, you're sort of slammed back into that reality. What are you in the middle of doing now? I can't remember. <laughs> are, you doing, are you rehearsing some show? Yes, you're... yes, yes, yes. I've got a Lady Day at West, uh, on the West End. You're going to go to London? Yeah, I've never been. Uh, per- no. Not, no. I've never performed on the West End. That's, a, that's what I mean. You've yeah. never performed over there? Not, I performed, but never on the West End. I've, never, I've done like concerts and stuff, but I've never done a show You never did there. a legit show over yeah, there? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what other places outside of New York have you performed? That's an interesting thing to think about. Well, in terms of like concert work, everywhere, but actual shows. Shows. I, I, I've only done. Well, that's not true. I did the Secret Garden tour a million years ago. So yeah. you know, you do, you do kind of a, a national tour. You go all over the place. But no L.A. Yeah, I did. But as a you know ensemble member, you know, and then I did Master Class. Was the only other one that I did. We did that in L.A. and at the Kennedy Center. We did it at the Taper at the Kennedy Center and Plays and Players in Philadelphia before we came into New York. But that's been the '90s. Do you find that you? Stay in New York and try to stay in New York because that's home and that's easier for you. And well, yeah, I mean, it is Broadway. And... Well, it's Broadway, and that's where I want to be. Yeah, but especially since you know, since having kids, you know. How many do you have now? Well, I have a six-month-old, and I have a sixteen-year-old, and I have two stepsons who are sixteen and thirteen. So, it's a very... you have a sixteen-year-old. 
and a and a that's six, yours. That's mine. And you have a six month old. That's mine. That's yours. Yes. Yes, you know what that's like, having a bit of a spread in between. <laughs> so you had a kid when you were very young, the 16-year-old. Well, that's very kind of you to say. No, I was 30 when I had my first, and now I'm 46. And, and you wanted to have another baby. I, you know, I... Or you were drunk on a sailboat with your husband. <laughs> what well, happened? Which is it? Which is it? It's 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 somewhere in between. The, right. the, it's really that the Broncos won the Super Bowl. Seriously. <laughs> And my husband is a big Broncos fan. And um, nine months later, the rest is history. The rest is Sally James McDonald Swenson. No. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? How was that for you? Because, I mean, I, I, I don't always want to ask. I was saying how I want to do another show, but I don't want to be away at dinner time every night yeah. for four to six months. Absolutely. What's that like? Do you bring the kids to the theater? I did. I, well, I certainly did with my 16-year-old. Um, when she was little, she was at the theater all the time with me. That was kind of the only way. And um, uh, I, I imagine, well, I know for a fact when I'm in London, um, I'm staying very close to the theater and she'll be at the theater and... Uh, and uh, if I were to get another Broadway show, I would just bring her there because you don't want to you don't want to miss anything, and you don't you don't want to make them feel like. And what about the baby? The ba- but yeah, the baby will right. come absolutely. She has to I just be with you right up till the half hour. That's what I've been doing now this year. <laughs> you know, since I've had her, I started back concertizing, and literally, <laughs> I've had her backstage with either my husband when he can join me um, or my babysitter, and um, I will sing and then run off stage and nurse her, and then you know go do your meet and greet or whatever. And actually, during one concert, she was really really fussy, and so my husband went on and performed, and I ran off stage and. and and nursed her and calmed her down and ran back on stage. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. Where did you meet him, your husband? We met doing um, 110 in the Shade, uh, the show on, on Broadway back in uh, 2007. Which, yeah, it was a long time ago. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a crazy time, too. I um, I met him, and then my dad was killed in a plane crash, like, a couple weeks, like, about six weeks later. What did he do, your dad? He was a, a high school principal. But he and you grew up in California. Yeah, but you, he, you were born in Germany. I was born in Germany. And what was he doing over there? Your he was in the he was in the army. They were in the yeah. military. And then, um, yeah, I was raised in Fresno, California. My dad was a high school principal, and then he went on to become an associate superintendent of schools there. But his passion was flying, and he flew small planes, and he had his own. And he was he had, been, had just recently retired, and he had his own plane that he was flying. And um, yeah, he. Where were you when you found out about that? I was actually walking. I just finished the matinee of 110 in the Shade. We were still in previews. And I was walking with um, my husband. He wasn't my husband at the time. He was just a friend at the time. We, a bunch of us were walking to meet the rest of the cast to have, you know, a post-Sunday you know, Sunday matinee drink with the entire cast. And my stepmom called. And said, Your dad was remarried. Yes, he was remarried. Is your mom still alive? Yes, my mom is alive. Where is she? She lives next door to me. She's in the city. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, in Westchester. When she retired, you left town. (laughs) Right. Get some break. Get a break. Yes, yes. But yeah, my stepmom called me and said, and I was just I was on um, 53rd Street between 8th and 9th Avenues, and uh, it was it was it's interesting, you know, in those moments. You know, you see what happens on in film, and you think it'll be similar, you know, in real life. And it's it seldom is. You know, as an actor. In what way? Well, I didn't. 
it didn't compute what she was saying. You know, she said, your dad, dad had an accident while he was flying the plane and he didn't make it. And I kept saying, oh, I said, okay, so where is he now? And she said, Audra, he didn't make it. I was like, okay, well, they where is They can't say he? the words, yeah. Yeah, but I wasn't, it wasn't computing either, you know, and it, I was just really stunned. And it, it took, it took a day for me to really start to cry, you know, because it just, it, it was. You were close to him? Yeah, yeah, very close. And it just wasn't making sense, you know. So it's interesting. I mean, it's it's been 10 years on. It'll be 10 years actually next week that his, uh, since his passing. And, um, but it's just interesting as an actor, this sounds so cold and callous and it's not, it's not meant to be. But as an actor, there was a part of me that was sort of floating away from my body, watching the scene going, I don't think you're having the right reaction. Right. You know, I don't well, think you're that, processing what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not, you know, if this were a scene, you'd fall to the ground and, and you know, break into a million pieces and you're not doing that. You're, you're playing the scene wrong. Isn't it? That's so strange. But actually, I know exactly when I really started to cry about my dad's passing and it was I, I had, I found out we were getting ready to open 110 in the Shade, and so we were getting ready to go into Critics Week, where critics are coming, and they're saying, I'm saying, I have to go, and they're saying, you're the star of the show, you can't leave, and I, said, I have to, and so they canceled a couple shows so I could fly home to California. This is for your father's funeral? Yeah. They said you can't leave? <laughs> well, they were, no, they were just, right. oh, they were like, how do we do this? You know, right. and actually it was at the end of, it was like right at Tony, um, what's it called? When it's the cutoff time. Yeah, there. qualification time. So it, everybody was like, "We, what do we do? So they were kind enough to cancel enough shows for me to run home for the funeral and trying to work that out with my stepmom who was devastated and, and you know, really broken and have, trying to keep her together and keep the family together and figure it all out. And it wasn't until after the funeral, you're saying hello to everybody, and I just kind of kept it together the whole time. And then as soon as I had greeted, like, the 30th person or something, he had, like, a 1,000 people at his funeral. He was very, very well-known and very uh, loved in Fresno, California. And my his older sister came and said, how you doing? <laughs> Yeah. And that's when I lost it. So when you emptied out. I emptied out. But it was, you know, but once again, that's not how, I mean, maybe uh, maybe a good director, but I, that's not how I just imagined the film. Well, as an actress, you're always controlling and managing your feelings anyway. Right? <laughs> right. You're always true. like levers and knobs and yes. dials inside of us. Yes. They were sitting there playing with all the yes, time. Yes, of course. So of that course. we get paid for, you know. Right, right. So you moved to Fresno when you grew up in Fresno beginning at what age? I was nine months old. Ten you're your little baby. Yeah. So you're a child. And so there's, there's the Audra McDonald who grows up in California. Yeah. There's the Audra McDonald who now is one of the princesses of the Broadway theater. You know, there's like a Mount Rushmore. It's That's, you and Bernadette and all these chicks now who are these the greatest <laughs> singers in the world. And I want to talk about the Audra in between. Mm. So the Audra in between, when you first started in the business... When people are hiring you, and as you're building your career in New yeah. York and singing, what were they hiring you for? Well, I think it was, had more to do with, if I look back on it now, and no one's ever asked me this, so kudos to you. Well, that's, that's, I do try. You, you've, got, you've got the talent. Um, but I think it had more to do with I wasn't what people were expecting. Um, you know, back in those days, can I say back in those days? Yeah, the early 90s, um, you know, you'd go and audition for something and they'd see an African-American girl in her 20s walk in. And I think they'd expect some big gospel voice mm -hmm. or, you know, they're like, can you be street smart? You know, all those code mm -hmm. words and whatnot. And I would sort of break out with this pseudo operatic voice that had Broadway qualities and was a bit goofy 
Um, and so I think it just intrigued people more than anything. I think that's even how I got into Juilliard when I auditioned for Juilliard. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really wanting to pursue classical music, but I thought I'll audition on the strength of my voice. That's my, that's my, my strength. Was that a goal to go to Juilliard? Well, I wanted to go to New York. I wanted to live in New mm. York. Juilliard was at Lincoln Center, you know, mm. you know. The, a good beginning. Yeah. Um, and I thought I'd be able to get like my acting classes and dancing classes while I was there. I didn't realize that once you're in a program once you're in a department you you know you shall not stray you stay in that department and you know so i just went in there and auditioned didn't really know what i was doing and kind of riffed at the end of a mozart aria you're not supposed to riff with mozart <laughs> and i did and i said i was a mezzo soprano and i'm singing soubrette you know roles for them showing them i sang a soubrette aria from the notte de figaro marriage of figaro and so for people who don't know what soubrette is what is that it's a, i'm one of those people by the way no you, you do what well, is soubrette well soubrette is sort of like a really high light <laughs> soprano not necessarily coloratura but she's like a young sweet heroine type right. lighter sound, not like a full lyric opera, uh, soprano. And um, so it's a lot of people say the Ina roles, Despina or Zerlina, the little cute roles. So anyway, uh, that's what I sang. I sang one of those arias, but then I said, I'm a mezzo-soprano, which I just I was just, it just showed how much I didn't know, how, mm. how little I knew. And they laughed at me and they said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 17. <laughs> And they just said, okay. And I thought, well, I blew that. And then two weeks later, they called me and said, we want you to come to Juilliard. But I don't think, I think it was just intrigue on their part. Were you there for four years? Well. (laughs) Would you start working? No, I was there for five years. Okay. But you finished there. You graduated from there. Yeah. I I took a leave of absence because I had a suicide attempt, actually, while I was there. So I, I took a leave of absence. There's a lot that happened between the Audra in Fresno, California, and the Audra who's on Broadway now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're going to cover as much of that as you care to in the time I'm, we have. I'm completely open about it. But when, So you're in Juilliard. Yeah. What years was that? That five years was from when to when? It was from 1988 to 1993. Right. So when you're there... Was it trouble for you fitting in? Did you feel uncomfortable and out of place there? Absolutely. Um, did. Was that a part of what led you to do what you did? Yeah, I felt out of place artistically. I felt all my life growing up in Fresno, California, all I ever wanted to do was be on Broadway. And then I thought, you know, let me audition for Juilliard. Just didn't think it through. Audition, got in. So everybody back at home was like, wow, Audra got into Juilliard in New York. She's, you know, she's going to make it. And then I get to Juilliard and I'm studying classical music. I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be an opera singer. Why? Surely they're going to let me go take some acting classes. Surely I can go do some dance lessons. Surely I can go and audition for Broadway shows. No, you have to just study you know, you aren't enjoying it. No, I w- and I felt I felt lost. I felt completely lost. I felt like I was off. But my not path. that. But that that alone, I'm assuming. And tell me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Didn't lead you to do something drastic. What else? No, I mean, well, you know, to the extent you can say. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, I, I'm open about it uh, because you know, I'm, I think I'm a case of it's it gets better, you know. But I, so I was lost in terms of that, and then feeling like I couldn't just quit and go back home because I would look like a failure back at home. And, you know, I had boy trouble while I was there. And so the culmination of being where I wanted to be in New York City, thinking I'm finally going to realize my dreams, stuck and failing miserably at Juilliard, not being able to admit to anybody at home what was going on, not being able to go home because I would have looked like a failure, living literally on Broadway, on Broadway. My apartment and my address was Broadway, 2508 Broadway. Wait, wait, that's Broadway and what? 
93rd. I lived okay. at the, yeah. the residential the, the hotel. The old Broadway, mm-hmm. what I call the wild, wild west. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yeah. Anything, anything north of 86th Street, forget it. You did not in those yeah, you days. You needed a shield and a sword right? to go to the grocery store. Right. And Crazy. To, to look at it now, oh my goodness. But what I'm curious about is yeah. that the woman, the young woman mm-hmm. from... Fresno, who goes to New York, and and, and again, I, I want, let me put a fine point on this before you answer, which yeah. is, and you say you have boy troubles. Are you dating a different kind of boy now with Juilliard? <laughs> no. Are they I, boys that were harder for you to understand? No, I was, you know, I was... Was that all the same? Well, I was just not, not being treated well by a boy. Yeah, boys are the same. <laughs> all boys are the same everywhere you go? <laughs> yes. Well, okay. Thank you. My guest has been Audrey McDonald, everyone. <laughs> Good night, everybody. No, but 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 the reason I ask this, I wonder, yeah. are you a fish out of water in every way? Yes, I was a fish out of water in every way, except for the fact that I was in New York, which is what I I knew I wanted. I knew that much was right, but everything that else that kept you grounded. Yes, but everything else was wrong, and so in you know in those days, I was you know twenty twenty one. I couldn't see past the fact that I had gotten here, and everything up to up to now had gone swimmingly, and all of a sudden it was all falling apart. And um, if you don't mind my asking, what, 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 what were the, 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 the ramp up, the time, what you were thinking and feeling? And the only reason I ask this is for people who listen to this, yeah. who might be young people yeah. and artists who experience a certain kind of pain that mm-hmm. you experience in this business that I think is very unique. Mm-hmm. Because you exude in your work, you, you seem so confident and so powerful. Well, I, I think it's because I'm now, I'm. I'm where I'm supposed to be. I'm right. doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing what I think, if you want to get, I don't know. You're not playing the Ina roles anymore. No, no, no. But I'm, <laughs> I'm, it's, it's more about I'm artistically fulfilled. Mm. I think my artistic soul is fulfilled. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Not that she doesn't still find challenges. Coming up, Audra McDonald talks about a song that's been rather hard to sing. Audra McDonald isn't the only star who struggled to find her voice. I mean, when I tell people I'm, I was extremely shy, nobody believes me now. That's a thing that people have to overcome. Yes, exactly. You know, I found right. a lot of comedians to be extraordinarily serious and, and, and almost withdrawn sometimes. Right. So, yeah, I think sometimes we overcome things by going after the very thing that really eludes us. To hear more about Renee Fleming's story, go to heresthething.org. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. If ever there was a track record that warranted divadom, it is Audra McDonald's. But despite her unparalleled fame, the queen of Broadway is disarmingly humble, perhaps the mark of a person who's endured great pain, in her case, while studying at Juilliard. This was my third year, and it had been just yet another year of floundering and doing poorly in all my classes, and teachers just saying, you know, you've got to get give over to your operatic sound, and me not wanting to, not knowing what that was. Um, and when I would get close to an operatic sound, I'd say, I don't want to sound like that. So I felt like I was just being pushed 
And they were doing their job, rightfully so. This is like, this is you're at Juilliard to study. This is what you're going to do to push me into a place that just wasn't me artistically. So that coupled with being, you know, 20, 21 by yourself in New York and being treated poorly by... Um, Whatever his name was. Yeah. What's his name? Yeah. Yeah. He's <laughs> um, selling hot dogs on 6th Avenue, by <laughs> no, the way. I wish Screw I him. could say that. No, 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 no. He's he's fine. He's a great guy now. But at any rate, um, so all of that combined with me being sort of like the great hope from my, my hometown, too. You know, oh, Audra's going to make it. If anybody's going to make it on Broadway, it's going to be Audra. I... I the the boy was the catalyst that sort of like sort of broke the it was the straw that broke the camel's back but it was three years of I'm in the wrong place doing the wrong thing I'm failing miserably but I'm here in Disneyland where I'm supposed to be yeah. where I said I wanted to be so I so what'd you do I I slit my wrists one night <laughs> and what happened and did you um, write about this? Have you written about this? I haven't. I guess I should. I speak about it all the time. Right. But maybe one day I'll write about it. And who found you? Um, I, I, I slit my wrists and then realized what I had done and called the um, student affairs director who I had become close with and said, I, 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 I help me. And someone came and helped you? And they helped me and they took me to a mental hospital. Right. Um, it's interesting. This mental hospital is still there. Um, uh, Gracie Square hospital. It's next door to um, my uh, my OBGYN who delivered my six-month-old uh, God, what, last a, what year. a circuit that is. So I almost didn't make it, and now I made it, and I'm in this and, office and over yes, here. Yes, I, I had to pass it you know, every week to go to my OBGYN appointment. I had to pass Gracie Square Hospital, and every time I passed it, there was a part of me just you know, waddling down the street, pregnant as can be, some 29 years later. I, I would... Um, I would. I, I felt such relief and joy, and and you know, a sense of yes. I I get the I get the big picture now. What month in the school year was that 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 happened? It was January or February. So it's at the, at the midpoint, let's say, and you take off obviously, and you come back when you come back the following fall. Or you don't. I came back um, the following fall for a little bit, and then I got an opportunity to audition. For something that ended up uh, that I that ended up being the Secret Garden, actually, and I asked the you know administration office and and my the dean what I should do, and they said you know go do that, it's okay, take the time off to go do that. It seems like that's where you want to be. So and, and they pro- and they probably didn't want to disappoint you at that point. <laughs> at that point, you at know, point, they were like, sure, Audra, go, go, go. You want to go sing on Broadway? Go, <laughs> go do it. Yeah, we don't ever want to get yeah. in your way. You know, the the thing is, there was actually a lot, not a lot, but they had a special arrangement with Gracie Square Hospital. There were a couple of other Juilliard students there that I had wondered what had happened to. I was there. I was at the hospital for. I mean, it's a, Gracie Square, I think, is a private hospital. I was there for a month. Um, they evaluated me and said, "You, you're not going anytime soon." Um, and did that change you? I was so heavily medicated. They, I was heavily medicated. See, you know? when you say that, it's so compelling to me because when I see you, I think of you. I think of you like you know. You're so strong, your personality and performance. I, I view you as the person that's going to go, I'm going back into the burning building to save the baby. <laughs> I, well, I, that is me now. Yeah. But I think maybe that experience helped make me that now. Um, I mean, look, I'm still a mess. I mean, everybody's a mess, always a mess. I, you know, and I, when I understood. You've got a lot going on. Yeah. And I realized, you know, I'm someone who suffers from depression and 
but I learned in the years, A, how to deal with it, B, to find, you know, find my joy, and C, to realize that like alcoholism, it's something that you wake up every day and you say, yeah, that's still something that I have to deal with, as opposed to saying, oh, I'm just not depressed anymore, just but to learn how to cope with that. And um, my, my art gives me uh, a lot of joy and keeps me keeps me strong. So what's the first job you do? This is a tired question, but I can't help asking, especially <laughs> with somebody like you. What's the first job when you do when you sit there and go, I got this. I think I got this. Like I'm over the... the... No, no, meaning you know that the sky's the limit for you. You're out there and you're doing it <sighs> and you're connecting to that material. Uh, you know... And you go, I think I really, really have a shot at my dream coming true here. It was Sally Murphy, and I, she was uh, she was Julie Jordan, and I played Carrie Pipperidge. And who was the guy? Uh, Michael Hayden was really the one with, with, with Hayden. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah, yes. So Nick Heitner at Lincoln Center, exactly. Which is also crazy for me to then open, you know, in in Carousel at Lincoln Center, where at Vivian Beaumont Theater, where you can look up and I can see the school that I, you know, had a hard time in, and and I remember standing in those in those windows How at Juilliard, feel? looking at Vivian Beaumont, seeing Patti Lapone performing there, and going, "Why am I not doing that?" And then how'd you feel? Um, like the luckiest survivor in the world. I, I mean, and I, I felt a sense of gratitude, a sense of relief, and a sense of, okay, I get it. I now get that I was on my path. Out the window of one place is your future. Out the window of a Juilliard where you try to snuff yourself yeah. is the Vivian Beaumont where you're going to do Carousel. Yeah. Across the street's always a vista for you of what might have been. <laughs> what might have been. And what and was, which being. was something not bad. Yeah, yeah. And wonderful. Yeah, I mean. Babies I, and Tony Awards and all that stuff. I think, I think what I realize is there's a bigger picture. And I think, you know, it's very easy to, you know, just get into tunnel vision, especially when you're young and, and you know, you, it's only you that you're having to think about. And not that that's a bad thing, but it's just easy to to get buried very quickly um, under emotion and, and, and fear and, and disappointment and all that. And then um, I just think that I, I learned to have a bigger picture about life. Once you become extraordinarily successful in the business, you won your first Tony Award for what show? Carousel. For Carousel. And you were how old? 23. Right, you're a child. <laughs> And, and you when you were, you were fresh out of that situation. You weren't yeah. far that far removed from that situation. Oh, no, I was two and a half years <clears throat> away from that situation. So two and a half years later, which is nothing, Yeah. you win a Tony Award, and you've won six Tony Awards. Yes. You've won the most Tony Awards of anybody. Are you tied with somebody? You're uh, tied with... Th- no, not with go, actors. Go, 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 no. <laughs> no, I mean, no, that's true. That's true. No, I love when people. I love when people sit there and they go, "Oh, I don't know. I don't keep track of that." I go, "You liar! You got all your Tonys lined up." I do right not. Above no, I'm not you. I'm saying, but people in general. No, I doubt you do actually. But to embarrass you even more than I already have. Oh, good God! You are enormously talented, and and everything clicks, and you're very, very successful, and you're a gorgeous woman. Well, you're kind. You're a gorgeous woman. Thank you. And what did that do in terms of your career? Meaning that you could have gone and made films and done a television series. Did you have a lot of offers to do no. that that you swept aside? No, I've never had those offers. I mean, I did one television seri- series once where I played the best friend uh, in, in private practice to to the main character. Uh, what show? Private practice. Who was in that again? Uh, uh, Kate Walsh played right, Addison right, um, right. Montgomery and I played her best friend. How long friend. did you do that? Um, I did it for five, six years. The show ran for seven years and I did it for five or six years. But no, Hollywood has never really banged down on my doors. And I think that's because... Um, 
you're very kind to say I'm gorgeous, but I don't think I'm the typical sort of look. I'm also a big girl, and I'm proud of that, and I'm fine with that. But, you know, it's I, it's interesting when you go to Hollywood and you see these people on, on the movie screens your entire life, and then you see them in person, and they're all like one-fourth of that. You know, like a paper airplane. Yes, yeah. exactly. You're like, what the hell? Yeah, you don't they, look well. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> Do you want a cheeseburger? Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, it's saying it look terrible, but it's just for me, it's just like, I, I you know, I think size-wise that has something to do with it. And I, and I don't know that that's where I'm at my strongest. Right. You know, and I think you work so hard to develop this perch you're in now. Mm-hmm. What's that like for you to have to go out and ring yourself yeah. out? Again What's and again the process and again. every night? Well, the process for me, I, I go really inside. I get really quiet. People around me think that I'm angry with them <laughs> before I do a show because I just get very quiet and I go inside and, and stay still and I'm not. I'm not one to kind of jump around and go visit other dressing rooms. I just, I, I have to kind of go in and be super, super, mm. super quiet and still because... Focus. Yeah, because in a minute, you're going to have to turn all of your insides out. Mm. And so if I'm giving all that out beforehand, I will have nothing to well, give. What was one of the hardest ones for you? Lady Day. Mm. Absolutely. That was by myself on stage for an hour and 45 minutes, just having to give it. And uh, especially living that life that she led. I have have to live that on stage every night. Um, but uh, I was no fun to be around before the show. After the show, I was a ball. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> That's I was, very common. Yes, because I was <laughs> thrilled it was over yeah. until the next. You know, it's interesting. I know I can't, I can't remember who. Oh, maybe it was. Kathy Bates. I can't remember who said this to me, but I said, well, why don't you ever come back to, to Broadway or do a show on Broadway? And I think it was Kathy Bates. She said, oh, honey, oh, that's hard. It's hard. And she's right. You know, it is because especially when you think, OK, I've done it. I've given a good performance. I, I got through that. You know, when you're doing a film, you're like, great, it's in the can. And now I'm off to Cabo or whatever. Right, right. You know, but Broadway, it's like, and now I have to do that again tomorrow night, and then the next night after that, yeah. and the next, and it's a blessing. At the end of every day, I got to go to work. Exactly. You have that whole day, and yeah. what happens in that day, in the world. The worst thing for me when I was acting was when I'd have a wonderful, fun day, and then I had to go to work and ring myself out, and some tried to go do the Scottish play. Yes. For me, it was always on Sunday matinees, when you're headed to your Sunday matinee, and you're walking down Ninth Avenue, and you're seeing everybody outside, either at a street fair or having wine and brunch. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many times. In the times, sun. In the sun. I can't really tell you how many times you're walking down Ninth Avenue, and you just want to take your hand and swipe all <laughs> the food off of those sidewalk tables. It's like, that's not fair. No, of course not. I mean, it's I'm doing what I wanted to do my entire life, but there is that and moment. And people are counting you, on you. Yes, of course. Amazing. Yeah. I, I, when I did Streetcar, I got really sick and I missed the show. I was out for, for a weekend, the two Saturdays and the Sunday, and I missed the show. But uh, I go downstairs. I lived on Central Park West. I go downstairs. I cross over to Broadway. I'm on 86th and Broadway on the northeast corner. I'm going to cross over to William's Chicken yes. and get my soup. Yes. And I'm there, and this little woman looks up to me. It's like 7 o'clock at night. It's a, it's a Friday night or a Saturday night, rather. And she looks up at me, this little owlish woman. She goes, Aren't you supposed to be on Broadway right now? <laughs> and I thought, God, this town, this flipping town. I have a story like that too. Do you, I mean, we were it was the uh, New Year's Eve, and Ethan Hawke had, had been able to. Uh, we were doing Henry the Fourth at Lincoln Center, and he'd been able to get the entire cast invited to the was it the uh, Plays and Players Club or the what's that club over the on Players the, Club? Players Club, yes, for New Year's Eve. So we're all there, and we're all celebrating, and it's wonderful. But we're you know in and amongst you know the actual members of this club. And it's New Year's Eve, and I'm doing a play, and I was still young, and I thought, I'm going to have a cigarette. You know, why not? I'm going to have a cigarette. 
And I don't smoke as a rule, but I just decided it's New Year's Eve. I'm going to have wine and cigarettes and it'll be fun. So I was smoking out on the, the, the little terrace they have out there. I'm smoking my cigarette and I'm chatting with some of my cast members and an older woman who's a member of the Players Club, she comes up to me and she said, I'd say you'll order McDonald, but it couldn't possibly be her because she wouldn't be smoking. Never. <laughs> Destroying her instrument. <laughs> she wouldn't be smoking. And go. then she just sort of marched off. Now, who are people who, in your life, in your career, one might assume, you've s- sung the songs, sang the songs mm-hmm. of pretty much everyone you want to sing, but is there one that's gotten by you? Is there some composer whose music you want to sing that you haven't sang? No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there's always young comp- I, I have always championed the work of new young musical theater composers, so I'm always looking for new work to do. There are certain songs that I stay away from um, because I don't feel that I can do them properly. Uh, for example... Um, one that I have not been able to conquer that I have tried a couple of times and never done in public because I can't conquer it is Being Alive by Sondheim. I cannot, as much as that song moves me and as much as it means to me, every time I try and sing it, I fail. Huh? So I, I have not done it in public and I and I won't until I figure it out. And that, is that strange? It, yeah. No, uh, no. I mean, you, you, I'm, I'm sure there's people. It's like in, in plays. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to think roles, of Certain roles, yeah. I'm trying to think of, of writers. Do, do you have writers whose work you steer clear of as a performer because you don't, you don't get it, so you don't know how to bring it to life? Not that you don't enjoy watching? I might enjoy watching, you know, whatever I want to have in the theater. Life itself is so filled with oddities now and surreal crap going on with the government and everything. I want to see something which is really... I want some honesty. Right. I need to have, a, like, oxygen. I need a big hit of honesty. I, You know, that's interesting. I was listening to a performer on the way down here who, who I absolutely admire, whose work I admire, and they were singing a song that didn't, in my mind, seem quite right for them. Not that they weren't singing it beautifully, but I thought, I don't think they believe this. I don't. I think they're trying something and they don't believe it. And and there's a part of me that thought, why am I thinking that about them? I do that stuff all the time. But I think you're right. There is something going on right now in the zeitgeist that is sort of like you're, everybody is needing truth and needing people. needing something to ground them. I and mean, where is reality yeah, anymore? Satire. Now, my last question for you is, well, first of all, describe for me, if you would, uh, as I try to always think about people in your profession and who do what you do as well as you do. A moment when you're on stage and you used to go out there at night and you'd sing a song and you knew you were going to kill these people. You know, the minute that you sang that song the way you sang it, you could almost feel the people just getting destroyed by that song. Is that in Lady Day as well? Well, I think in the beginning with Lady Day, because I think no one thought that I could find her voice. You know, because I'm a soprano, so it's like, what are you doing? What's a soprano doing Lady Day, you know, right. trying to be Billie Holiday? She doesn't have it in her, and I didn't think I had it in me. And so some nights, you know, the show opens, and the first thing I do is sing before I even start speaking. And so the audience, and you can tell that the audience is waiting to hear, is she going to get it? And on nights that I really felt that I was really lined up, really lined <laughs> up with Billie, I had, I had enough you know, of her perfume on, and I had the makeup right, and I had the gin behind my ears so I could smell like what she must have smelled like in those days. And I would open my mouth and sing the first, uh, all I know is I'm in love with you. Um, And you'd hear, sometimes I'd hear the audience gasp. And that's when I'd be like, okay, I got that right. Now sustain it for the next hour and 45 minutes, you know. And I'd, I'd feel that, and I'd think, okay, 
they're they're taking the journey with me. And there were nights where that wouldn't happen. I think, okay, I got to drag them on this journey too, you know. But every once in a while, there'd be that moment of, and you, every every once in a while, I'd hear people go, "Oh my God." All I know is I'm in love with you, even though. You said that we are through I know that you love I just can't go on I wonder where our love has gone The final line of a review from the Evening Standard for her recent West End debut as Billie Holiday doubles as a review of Audra herself. Quote, yet still she stands broken but indomitable to the last, unquote. This is Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing Comes from WNYC Studios.